0: Welcome to The Get Down with Hurley Brown. This is a weekly series that showcases the world of sports with a focus on the NFL, NBA, and college football. From the recruiters and players to the teams and coaches, we've got it all covered. Now, here's your host, Coach Hurley Brown.
1: Oh yes, boy, it is a great day for a great show. This is Hurley Brown, your host, and we're coming to you live in the living color from Merritt Island, Florida, home of the Mighty Mustangs. Hey, family, I got a great show for you today. I got a guy that boy I tell you. Even every, every time I mention his name, I get chill bumps down my spine. He's a wonderful person. He's an amazing football player. And and he's my friend. As a matter of fact, he's a good friend of mine. But hey, before we get into the show, hey, Kelvin Harris, my main man, my co-host, Major's back with us. We're going to talk a little bit about the NBA draft. Man, what – I wake up this morning, Kelvin, and um, Russell, you can chime in in a minute, but we're going to get back to here in just a second. I wake up this morning. I get a Facebook message from one of my buddies, two of my young, my, my young brothers here in Brevard County in Cocoa, Florida, shot and killed. Now, this is a, a day after – XX Tentacion gets killed. There's another wrap-up in Pittsburgh, got killed. Um, and it just saddens my heart, you know, to, to, to deal with all this with all this violence, with all this nonsense. It just, I, I got to get that off my chest real quick. Go ahead, Kel.
2: No, it's crazy because the kid in um, Miami, the ex-kid, he was with a promoter. They was coming from an event, and it sounded like he got – it was a hit on him. And it's like, it's a 20-year-old kid. I mean,
1: <laughs> what's going on? We, we can't be killing ourselves like this. So, and that's what gets me. You got kids, you know, and you got a kid like a Duke Johnson who just signed a $15 million deal. You got um, a kid that just coming from my high school, Mason Denneberg, just got drafted 27th pick of the draft, slated to make $2.5 million with a signing bonus. And, you know, there's so many other kids that are out there doing great things, that are out there doing, you know, just like with Duke getting ready to buy his mama a house. I mean, come on, man. There's, there are so many other opportunities out there. And Russell, you, you can attest to some of these things because you've done it. You were the first pick of the draft, and we are gonna get back to him here in just a second. But it, there's such a burden on my heart right now because I'm waking up to this and um, what what is wrong? What, what are we? It, 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 it's so sad because I, I look at our generation. Look at our parents. I was actually talking to a coach, one of my coaches. I'm not going to mention any names. But he talked about how he grew up. And, I mean, he, he's, he's a white guy. He's Caucasian. But the person that raised him was a black lady. Mm. And and, and, I mean, we're sitting there and we're just having this conversation. And, but what I'm getting at though, Kevin, is our parents worked so hard for us to have better than what they had. Yes. And man, when, when I look at it, we've accomplished that. But then our kids, this next generation, they're going backwards. They don't have as much as what we have. Well, some of them, I say that, but some of them. But we worked so hard to try and provide them with a better life than what we got. And it seems like it's, it's all for nothing because they choose to do other things. And that, that, that hurts me, though, Kel. Not that, you know, and again, I'm, I'm going to get off of it. We ain't going to spend all day because we got our main man. But, you know, just, Kel, just give me your thoughts on that real quick. Well, it seems
2: like it's going to hit close to home to a lot of people. It seems like our generation worked so hard, you know, to make it better for the kids. But I think there was a part that was missing. We kind of didn't transfer over the hard work part. I think a lot of people, I not want to say took it easy, but, you know, I hear a lot of people say, well, I don't want them to have to go through what I went through. But, you know, Russ, Major Hurley, I mean, we all come from, you know, neighborhoods where, yeah, it was difficult times, but, community banded together and them difficult times made us the people we are. I mean, Rush, you're from Chicago. I mean, yeah. Chicago wasn't what it was. You know, what, it, it wasn't as crazy back when you was growing up where it was just mass killings, but I mean, it was still a tough place. And your parents did a great job of of, of, of teaching you work ethic and morals. And, you know you, you know, you had some hard times, but you didn't let yeah. the hard times keep you down it seems like this generation we've decided that we don't want the kids to have any hard times it's if it's, if it's tough then we pull them out of the situation so even right. when we're not there they don't know how to handle the toughness or the that, uh, of, of the situation that's just my that, personal opinion
3: that, that, and, that, and that's true um and first of all thank you guys for having me on your illustrious show man this is uh this is a great deal man to be able to come back and uh and then talk to my boys uh, live and on the air and worldwide. So, uh, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for having me on. And secondly, um, uh, you know, as far as uh, violence in in, uh, in our communities, I mean, it's a it's a problem that has been there before we you know we were born. It was there when we were coming up, and it's is 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 here now, and, it's, and it's seemingly it's going to be is going to be there after we're dead and gone. It's just violence. Uh, uh and especially your poor uh, disadvantaged communities are always going to be around, but the thing is um, I, I think uh, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot of things, a lot of different factors. For one, uh, you know you, you got you're poor and disadvantaged that doesn't mean you got, you need to be violent because you're poor or disadvantaged. but uh, I think for two, you talk about the breakdown of the family structure you know you've got, uh, you got kids that are leading kids. Uh, and when I grew up in Chicago, you had that same thing. You know, you had uh, fathers taken out of the homes or fathers leaving their homes for whatever reason. Um, and it's, it's just a treacherous, systematic thing uh, when you really dig down deep into it, how you, the fathers are, are having to leave or going through the prison system and are it, it just basically out of the home. So those young men don't have, and, and uh, ladies don't have father figures to look up to. Uh, that uh, are hardworking and do the right thing. They have a few in their communities, but they're, they're few and far between. Um, so that, that hurts uh, your community. And also another factor is the prevalence of guns and uh, weapons. I mean, when I was growing up, uh, you, know, you, have your, uh, you know, you got gangs in Chicago and uh, you got people fighting on the street, gangs fighting against each other. But I remember a time where you used your fists and maybe a stick or, or a bat or something, <laughs>
1: but then there's, right.
3: there's they, Now they don't. There ain't no fist fighting no more.
1: Ain't, ain't no like, coming back from that.
3: Yeah. Ain't no. Yeah. That's yeah. right. So it's, it's, oh. it's guns now, and you got disputes to settle. Uh, you know, like this X guy. It's, it, that's they say it's a robbery, robbery, but it, that seems like you know more like uh, that somebody was uh, you know was going to just take him out, just roll up on him, and shoot him like that. Yeah, it seemed you like know, he was targeted. That happens all too often in our community. You got disputes to settle. Oh no, it ain't gonna be about a, a fist fight. It's gonna be about gunplay. So there's a lot of different things that are treacherous in, in, in our communities, and it, it, it is a sad thing, Hurley. And uh, it's something that we have to. We, you know what? The the thing that will heal it is just love. Love for uh, one another. Uh, just uh, if you, you just got to get more love in our communities, man.
1: Uh, you said a mouthful then, and killed me. You know, even you, I mean, you know, it, it's, huh? I feel like I'm back in U.M., heard of the way Russell came with the good knowledge. I know, hey, man, you know, and <laughs> it's so funny because remember, Russell didn't even talk back then. You know, he was, what, what we call him, the Dancing Bear was one of his names. <laughs> oh, man, we used talking. <laughs> oh, man, I tell you what. Hey, but family, and again, hey, man, it just, it, 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 it just stuck with me. It's been with me all day. And I just wanted to start the show off with, hey, look, man, there's something, whatever we can do, whatever we need to do, we need to start doing it. And Russell, you're saying we need to share more love, spread more love. I mean, hey, and if that's what we have to do, that's what we have to do. But I'm, I'm on and second time.
3: Really, when you, when you talk about that, uh, you know, that that plagues our communities and the U.S. Uh, in general, it all comes down to, uh, you know, uh, the degree to which one loves not just their next man, the next person, your fellow man, but to the degree that one loves themselves. No, exactly. you, know, if, exactly. if, you uh, if you don't if you don't really fully love yourself,
1: how can you uh, love uh, someone?
3: How can you uh, love? Yeah, that's right. How can you love somebody else? You know, and then it becomes always adversarial or this man wronged me or this man owed me money or this man looked at me the wrong way. So what am I going to do? I'm going to take him out. Uh, and, and then then what does that do it 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 spoils two lives not just that person that you that you shouldn't you kill know, but I, your life and your family
1: exactly I, you have affected so many different lives but anyway we got to oh, we got to take a break here in a second but family when we come back It's the Russell Maryland show. And I'm going to introduce them the right way because I didn't do them any justice just yet. We're going to introduce the dancing bear here in a second, but we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to come back with the number one pick of the 1991 draft of the Dallas Cowboys. And there's a whole list of things. They're giving me 30 seconds, Russ, and I can't cover everything in 30 seconds. So when we get back, we're going to give you the proper introduction that you deserve. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back with the Get Down with Hurley Brock.
4: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America thunder chickens beware we're coming for ya (laughs) this week on the revolution with jim and trav it's all about the spring gobbler smackdown and our panel of pros are out for beards (laughs) joining us is david blanton of bill jordan's real tree outdoors and monster bucks outdoor writer md johnson and pete muller from the national wild turkey federation it's presented by outdoor channel sportsman channel world fishing network and my outdoor tv friday afternoons at one pacific time on the voice america sports channel
0: Join Matt Fish and Alex Clancy every week for Rebound Radio. We'll talk with the legends of basketball about how they got started, their rise to the top of the game, how basketball has changed their lives, and what they're up to now. Just like the game itself, you'll find that lives can pivot on a dime. There can be last-minute saves, and life is anything but run-of-the-mill. Rebound Radio can be heard live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. You won't want to miss the next show. This is the Get Down with Hurley Brown. To reach our show today, call in to 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Brown at gmail.com. Now back to the show.
1: Yes, family, we are back. I told you what I was going to do before, but this is how we're going to do it. I'm going to introduce my main man to you. And I want y'all to listen to these accomplishments. Now, he's got a long laundry list of accomplishments. And again, you know, it, doesn't, it's, it still does not illustrate who he really is. If you ever got a chance to know this guy, you love him. But anyway, he hails from Chicago, Chi-town, the Windy City, went to Whitney Young High School. He signed a scholarship to play for the University of Miami. And Russell, we're going to get you to talk, to talk about that in a bit. When he went to the University of Miami, his entire life changed. His career just took off. Russell went on to lead his Miami Hurricanes to two national titles. He was a consensus All-American. He was the very first Miami Hurricane to win the Outland Trophy. He was UPI lineman of the year. His senior year, he had 96 tackles. Listen to what I'm saying now. He's a defensive tackle. He had 96 tackles which is unheard of for a defensive lineman, 10.5 quarterback sacks. He had a perfect home record. He did not lose a game in the Orange Bowl. He's 44-0 in the Orange Bowl. As a matter of fact, he only lost four games his entire college career. He's a motivational speaker. As a matter of fact, he went to the same school as Walter Bond, one of the most infamous speakers out there besides Les Brown. (laughs) He played for the Dallas Cowboys, the Oakland Raiders, the Green Bay Packers. He went on to do some player development for the, the Cleveland Browns when it, he had his homeboy up there, Rod Krasinski, as the head coach. He came back to Dallas and they begged him to come out there and do some work with the defensive line. But we bring to you none other than the Dancing Bear, the solid assassin, my main man, Russell, the Dancing Bear, Maryland. Russell, what's up, baby? What's happening?
3: Hey, fellas, man. Like, uh, like I said, man, great talking to you, man. I know, uh, shoot, hey, we hadn't been on the team in 30 years, but we're still on that same team, brother. It's just like like no years <laughs> have passed. Uh, so I'm oh, yeah. uh, glad to be back, and thank you for that uh, great, great introduction.
1: Well, Russell, I'll tell you, you saying it's great to be here with us, but i tell you, Russell... It is an honor to have you join us on the get down with Hurley. Thank you for taking time yeah. out your busy day to hang out with us. Now, you're going to have to build with old Kelvin Harris because Kevin Kelvin got that dog on, that, um, what is that, that, that micro PCS phone, or whatever they call that dog on phone, or Metro PCS. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Major, you got to help your boy out there, Major. I mean, come He's on, Major. You got a, a burner you, phone, do it. <laughs> yeah, you got old burner phone. Every, every, every week his phone number changed, so you do something wrong down there at Fort Myers? <laughs> oh, these But anyway, Hey, so, and, and Russell, you know, again, it, like I said, it, it's an honor to have you on the show. We, we do. I'm, I'm ecstatic. I've been thinking about this for last week, and um, but there are so many things that you've accomplished, Russell. I want you to tell the family because you have such a great story, and yeah. so many young men are out there that don't understand. It's not where you start. Yep. It's how you finish. That's right. So tell tell the family. How did you actually get noticed by the universe of mine? And what made you choose the universe of mine? Tell them that story for me.
3: i tell you what, to, to, for that, you know, let's go back to the south side of Chicago, man, where I was born and raised, grew up, uh, you know, wasn't in a, you know, terrible part of town. But, you know, my, I had my mom and uh, she worked hard. She worked eight hours a day for the Chicago Police Department. She was an accountant, smart woman. Uh, and okay. uh, my father... Um, he worked for a Chrysler Corporation, as a zone manager, district manager, one of the first African Americans to have that position in the Chicago land area in the uh, you know in the 70s and 80s. So uh, I grew up in you know kind of a lower middle class family. Uh, had two brothers, older, younger. I was the middle, uh, and just uh, I was just uh, another kid growing up in the hood in the south side of Chicago. Uh, but it wasn't the hood. Hood, you know, we had a nice house. My my family, my fa- mother and father provided for us. Uh, we went, you know, they didn't want us to go to the neighborhood schools, neighborhood public schools, because they thought that, they, that, that, that their kids could do better. So they sent us to uh, parochial schools, Episcopalian schools, and we, uh, we, we, we made it happen, you know. Got right. But I was a kid that never really was involved in sports other than going outside and maybe playing tackle football in the snow, you know, and uh, mm. and I know one thing that no, when I had the ball, nobody could bring me down. So uh, you know, I, I realized I had a talent, uh, you know, early on. But, um, you know, my father, I really wasn't, uh, I was a nonchalant kid. I was a big 17 year uh big 13, 14 year old kid, graduated eighth grade, never had any problems with, with classwork. I always got my, my, my schoolwork. And, uh, and I credit that to my parents who always put me in good schools in, uh, in the south side of Chicago. However, I was kind of a lazy kid. i call it nonchalant. They would call it lazy. You know, I'd I basically be uh, the Saturday mornings, you know, be looking at, uh, you know, all of the cartoons on TV, Bugs Bunny, you know, uh, Super Friends, uh, He's I'm just you know?
1: a Bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. bill. And I'm sitting here on Capitol Capitol Hill. Capitol Hill. You, know <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> So,
3: yeah, yeah that, was my, that was my thing on Saturday mornings. I wasn't trying to get out and participate in anybody's football, baseball, basketball, or anything. Wow. Uh, but I love watching TV and I love listening to music. Until one day my father came to me uh, and I was just sitting around and, you know, just being lazy, eating, eating up all the food. And my, my, my father said, hey, man, you got to get up, get out and do something. Uh, you can't just <laughs> sit up here and eat us out of house and home, you know. He said, you're going to join your football team, your, your high school football team. And so this was in the summer of 82. I was 13 years old. Okay. Uh, my older brother was there uh, on the football team, so I had a little bit of leeway there, but not much. Father went dropped me off. Uh, Coach Gerald Prince, he looked at me. I looked at him. He looked at me. and was like, hey, go on and run me some laps. You know. and That was my first organized sports, and it tore me down. 1982, as a freshman, I was terrible, terrible, terrible at Whitney Young High School. Wow. But, uh, and every day I wanted to come home and quit. My father, uh, you know, I'd go to my mother, give him the sad puppy eyes, and she'd be like, go see your father. I only want to hear And then my father, he, he was bigger than I was, so I was like, uh-uh. <laughs> so I'm going to go another day. <laughs> so, you know, that, that lasted for you know a whole summer, but, uh, you know, eventually I stayed around and I uh, didn't quit. They wouldn't let me quit. And then year after year I get better. A little bit bigger, I get a little bit better, sophomore year, a little bit bigger, junior, senior year, until I was a pretty decent. I wasn't all, you know, Chicago or anything, but I was offensive tackle and defensive end. I went both ways. And It was Whitney Young High School, and we were more known for academics. It was a public school, but it was a magnet school that was south of downtown, west of downtown, which I had to take an hour and 15 bus ride every, every morning to get to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and uh it was the same school not only Walter Bond went there, the great Walter Bond, but the great Michelle Obama was there wow. a, a couple of years before I was so wow. was, that was that was the kind of school it was, but we weren 't okay. known for sports we weren 't really known for sports and uh in my senior year you know i 'm seventeen years old i 'm three hundred and twenty five three hundred you know twenty pounds, and uh you know i i'm, I'm not you know nobody's really beating down my door to give me a scholarship. I just finished up uh, a, a solid uh, high school career. I was I was big enough and I, had, I was pretty quick on my feet, but nobody uh, really noticed me in high school except for one school. And guess what? That school was it, it was not the University of Miami. It was Indiana no. State. Wow! Well, wow! Only one you know one scholarship offer. They saw something in me that I didn't even see in myself. But guess what? My father was like, you know what? You ain't going in there to stay, son. And I'm like, what? And I'm like, what the hell? I mean, I thought he was nuts. I really I didn't see it. I didn't see what he saw. Okay. He really wanted me to go to the University of Miami. I guess he had seen him lose against uh, Tennessee the week before in the Sugar Bowl and was like, yeah, I really like the University of Miami. So uh, one thing led to another. He sent a videotape of Miami senior season, a video, VHS, all the way down to Jimmy Johnson at the University of Miami. Jimmy saw the tape, and he was like, hey, what about this cat? And uh, Coach Axe, Hubbard Alexander, who had recruited the Chicago area, basically said, well, all right, well, let's go check him out. And they, they came to check me out, and they said, okay, well, he's a big old dude, but at least he has the grade so... We need we need somebody to graduate from the University of I Miami mean, to raise the GPA <laughs> rate. You know, so, <laughs> so I got the, I ended up getting the last scholarship, fellas, at the U uh, in 1986. Uh, I was wow. the last guy that was accepted. I came in, I sight unseen. I had him take a visit down there, and and uh, that's how I made it to the University of Miami on grades and reputation alone. I'll be wow.
1: I yeah, remember having it, a conversation it,
2: about, about you, Russ, with Darrell Fullerton. When I first got there, we was at Manhattan. Yeah. And it was really about you and Steve Walsh, and he was talking about how the year before, you know, you had all those great guys. He's like, man, I just don't know about this year. I mean, you know, we, we ain't got no quarterback, and, man, Celio ain't going to be eligible, and Russ is a year away. Little did we know ooh, that year <laughs> That year was right then because you came out that year like gangbusters. Really, mm-hmm. you, really you had that conversation. Wow, that's that, I hadn't heard that
3: before, man. Hell, man. Well, you know what though? Uh, it, when when I got to the U, when I got there, it was uh, you know I was I was, I stepped on foot on campus. I was three seventeen. Hmm. I remember, and uh, they were like, "Man, you got—we got this 110s test, and you ain't gonna make it unless you—you know—you start running." So I'm like, "Man, okay." So I started running. Coach Ferran who was the weight coach at the time. Started working us out, man. And I was dying every day, man, because I'm used to balmy, cool temperatures on the—you know—Lake Shore uh, Drive in Chicago, and we go down and it's felt like the tropics in Miami. So I was dying, dead tired every day. I, I thought about quitting again. It was like freshman mm-hmm. year all over in 1982, but uh, I, I got in shape. Uh, you know, uh, I didn't make the one ten all the one tens, but I made most of them. And I was just I had to break all the way down until the, I started building back up. And then you know we had all those guys in front of us, so uh, I just tried to work. And Jerome Brown he gave me a lot of good wisdom. Uh, you know, Derwin Jones was a, another guy that was a good mentor for me, and uh, they they just put a lot of stuff in me. And it's like, hey, eventually you, you can get out there. So my second year, when we won the first national championship in the Orange Bowl in 1987, yep. I got like three plays in that game, but I made one mm-hmm. tackle. So I was like, you know, hey, you know, it's all good. But then the, my third year, which was my sophomore year, um, that's when I broke out, and it was it was time for me. I, I, I got my muscles right. I dropped 50 pounds. I was down to 267.
2: Wow. And, uh, man,
3: eating, eating a lot better uh, you know I was, I was working out getting real strong and then it was time for me to go so that, that must have been the year you were you referring to because uh, I didn't know that I was ready that year either they just put me out there and I just uh, I didn't look back Calvin
1: man I, I tell you what you're you absolutely right that is that year because remember Calvin we came in in 87 and in yeah, 88 okay. man you took off like a rocket but anyway yeah. we got to take a break when we come okay. back We're going to find out what separated Russell. So all you young brothers out there that are playing football, any sport, we're going to ask Russell, what separated you from everybody else? Because there was only one pick of the draft. There was only one Outland Trophy winner. There was only one UPI lineman of the year. And all of those were you. So we want to find out. And, and don't uh, correct me if I'm wrong because the rumor was that you played in the band for a little while right Russell? In the band? And, yeah I <laughs> I'm talking about you hey, hey, see how these rumors get started wow, you really you, want to back when we was dance. in school that's why they called him the dancing bear because they kept telling us Russell played in the band oh, but anyway yeah. Hey, so we're going to take a break I hope not <laughs> hey, you and uh, your boy. But anyway, hey, we, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back when you get down with Hurley Brown.
4: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you ready for the latest sports news, the culture around the game and unique insight? Then you need to make Kareem and the coach your destination each week. Host Kareem Rush played for the LA Lakers and has the inside track to personas in both professional and college sports. Co-host Eric Newman is a former basketball coach and now a producer and filmmaker. Together they cover sports and entertainment in a fast-paced hour every Friday at 5pm Eastern Time and 2pm Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel.
0: This is the Get Down with Hurley Brown. To reach our show today, call in to 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to Brown at gmail.com. Now back to the show.
1: Family, we are back. We are back with the dancing bear, Russell Maryland. So, Russell, I'm so glad that you've been able to correct this rumor, this nasty rumor that's been going around for the last 30 some odd years. And I can't remember who told me that doggone rumor, but I hope you listen and you were dead wrong. Russell did not play in the band in high school. He
3: did no, play high school. I, I, I love music, but uh, and, uh, I, I, I thought
1: you might have heard that I was a little... And a Russell, DJ you, you were party. the number... I mean, you go in, you go in to camp... And, again, even the coaches talk about it. You know, Jimmy Johnson talks about it. Um, um, Coach Wanstead, Coach Campbell. These guys have had that conversation. They, they talk – Coach Kehoe is the one that tells the story but, uh, as good as anybody. And he said that they had no intentions on you playing. Not no intentions. They just they, – they didn't think that you were going to be able to correct the lineup. They thought that you were going to come in and help boost the GPA of that particular class. And that um, – you know, you probably end up playing a little bit by the time you were a junior or senior and graduate from the University of Miami and go and have a great life in the business world. And yet and still, you went to the University of Miami. You took over that spot. And at that time, and that span, now for about 10, 12, 15, I might even say 30 years, you had some of the greatest defensive linemen to ever play at the University of Miami. Oh um, man, yeah. And college football. I'm talking yeah. about the greatest. And you were the first one to ever, to ever win the Outland Trophy. I mean, yeah. and we're talking about on the, you know, the, the footsteps of Jerome Brown and and Winston Moss yeah. and you know, Daniel Stubbs, all yeah. these guys. Cortez Kennedy graduated and left the year before you. Yeah. And we're talking about great players. None of them were the number 1 pick of the draft. You were. yes. And again, we're talking about a guy that, hey, look now, um, family, all you young men that are out there aspiring to be great football players, I want you to hear from this guy, what separated him from everybody else. Come in out of shape. Again, not really heralded as one of the, the better players on that class, in that class, brought in to, you know, hey, boost up the GPA. And you ended up being the number one pick of the draft, went on to play 10 years in the National Football League You're in the University of Miami Hall of Fame. What made you so different? What was your drive?
3: You, you know what? Uh, to be honest with you, uh, when I look back at it in retrospect, there's nothing but the grace of God. Because you know, um, uh, like I said, I'm 17 years old. I'm one of thousands of kids in the Chicago area. And for that opportunity, for that scholarship, that last scholarship to come my way, you know, I could have just said, hey, let me go to Indiana State. And I could have been an Indiana State Sycamore. And I could have, you know, been, uh, you know, like Larry Bird and Russell Maryland, you know. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I mean, really. But, uh, you know, just things kind of fell into place that my father wanted me to go to the University of Miami. The University of Miami was just, you know, uh, on, back on, on, the come up. You know, they had won pre- previously national championships, but it had been a few years. So to be able to be there and be tutored by Jerome Brown, you know, by Danny Stubbs, by Derwin Jones, Greg Mark, uh, Cortez Kennedy, you know, all these guys that have, that, that came before me, uh, to be tutored by those guys, uh, and to be put, you know, what really, and you guys can relate to this, to be put into that fire, you know, uh, to be a part of a hur- the Hurricanes at that time in the mid to late 80s, you come from your respective high school, and that's one thing. You may have been, the, you know, the top of the line in the high school in the, you know, the county or the state or whatever, but you come to University of Miami and you're going to work. And there's going to be yep. some people that are a lot better than you are. Yep. Um, so th- to be put into that fire, is, it was kind of like a refining process for me, and I took a little bit from all those guys that I just mentioned, and just tried to incorporate that into my style, uh, and just put, you know kind of uh, melded it into one that was my own. And not only that, but with everything I look, I, I'm an observing guy. I watched the way those guys worked, and I said, you know what? I'm going to work a little, just a little bit harder. Ten percent. More, I'm gonna be out there after practice. I'm gonna lift. uh, I'm gonna do one more rep than you know the best guy, and that's what really was a driving factor for me uh, to not only be around guys that wanted to work hard, that not only be around the guys that were the tops in uh, in, you know in college football, but that will and desire to be better than anybody else on that field. Because if I knew that I was working hard. Harder than my opponent. At least, if I thought I did, I don't. Know, I don't know if I was or wasn't. But I, in my mind, I thought that I was working harder than everybody else, and I knew on Saturday or whatever day we played that I was going to be the best man on
1: that field. Right. And that, that, it's as simple as that, guys. So, so with man, you, you been out there with the back Dallas back Cowboys, too. and and you watch. I mean, you you live out there. I mean, you you are a a, a pillar in the community out there in Dallas, and you have a personal relationship, when you go over to watch those guys play, how much different now is it? And, and <laughs> let's, let me explain, let me, let me tell you something about, now let me tell you family, because we're yeah. talking about a guy who has won three Super Bowls. Five times in his life, he was considered to be the absolute greatest. Well, I'll take, let's, let's go back. He was considered to be one of the, on one of the greatest teams And what they did five times, two national championships, three Super Bowls and Super Bowls. You are the best of the best. You're the best in the world. What's different now, Russell? I mean, we're talking about you you go from when you got there, you had Emmitt Smith, Troy Aikman, Charles Haley, uh, Michael Irvin. You had all these guys, uh, Jay Novacek and. And and Jimmy Johnson, you know, obviously right. and those guys. So now you got Ezekiel Elliott, Jack Prescott. Jack Prescott. hmm You got our boy with Alan Hearns now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, and so what what is the difference? What do you see that's different from that group then to this group now? So so hmm.
3: to me, the difference with that with the group that we had with you know, when those five times, college and uh, professional included, that we that I was considered to be one of the best, uh, and, and that was five times within a ten-year span. So, eighty-seven, eighty-nine, ninety-two, ninety-three, ninety-five. Mm, you know, mm. uh, those are the championship years. And when I look at those teams that I were on, that I was on that I was a part of, you know, then uh, I look at the losing teams that I was on, conversely, or the. The teams that you know, you, you know, you see today, uh, who haven't yet, uh, you know, you know, made their mark in the football world, the difference is like you have a. There's one thing to have an aggregate of guys, an aggregate of talented guys, which the Cowboys of today have. They have talented guys at each position. Um, you know, they have some good uh, coaches, also. Uh, Jason Garrett. I played with Jason. I, I, I believe he's an excellent coach. But you know, there's a difference of that an aggregate of guys is just just guys that can play well, and in comparison, in the you know late '80s, early '90s, on the teams that I won with, these were an aggregate of guys that weren't just an aggregate of guys. They played well, but they did the things, the little things mm-hmm. that it took to win. Uh, they worked the extra. We studied more film. We competed more in practice. We had uh, a great coaching in place: Jimmy Johnson, Weinstead, Butch Davis, Campo. You know, from top to bottom, North Turner, Vampisi, uh, You know, we we uh, coach Tony Wise, Joe Broczy, oh. Hubbard Alexander. Come on now,
2: huh? yeah. yeah, oh yeah, Hall yeah. of Fame coaches yeah. there, bro.
3: That's Hall right, Hall of Fame. Uh, so, yes. uh, and, and the ownership was in uh, was was in sync. With the with the coaches and the players, so when everything falls into place, everybody does little things, coaching and playing wise. Uh, everybody does a little bit extra in order to win. It, we win, right. and I think that's probably the major difference between yesteryear and the guys of today. The guys of today, you know they they you know they they want to win. They're just getting by, <laughs> but sometimes they don't do the little things. Uh, in order uh, what winning teams should do in order to win. And, uh, you know, the, the, the football is a game of inches. You know, a lot of times you'll see a team that loses by three points or loses by seven uh, because those teams that really know about winning in the fourth quarter will win. Your Patriots yeah. will win and the, they'll find a way to win. The Eagles, they found ways to win. And, uh, if, you know, a, average teams, Uh, They may win one day, but uh, more more times than not, you know, they'll be average and they'll lose uh, the games that they should win. So that's the big difference. uh, It's just those little things,
1: fellas. All right, so before we go on this next break. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm going to put you on the spot here now. You don't have to answer this. <laughs> oh, do I? I don't really. <laughs> <laughs> you you don't have to answer this because I, I don't, don't want die. you to, Yeah, I don't want you to be walking around there in Dallas and everybody looking at you like, damn Russ, you said that. But anyway, hey. Was Jerry Jones warranted in getting rid of Des Bryant?
3: You know what? And I have no problem answering this question because yeah. I don't know if he was warranted or not, but I do believe that it might be the best thing for Des. And I say that because I think when uh, you're kind of in a situation where it's kind of, you you know. I'll
1: tell you what, Russell, before we give that away. Okay. I don't want nobody to listen to it. Then they turn the radio off and go back there and eat a sandwich. (laughs) So what we're going to do is we're going to take this break. And I want you to hold that thought. I will. OK, and, and when you come back, I want you to give us your thought on why you think that that might be the best thing that ever happened to Des Bryant. So we're going to okay. take a break. When we come back to get down with Hurley Brown, we're going to let Russell Maryland continue on answering this question as to or to explain to us why he think it might be the best thing to happen to Des Bryant. So we'll take a break. you will be right back with to get down with Hurley Brown.
4: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? <laughs> Want to experience football from the perspective of two former players who also have coaching experience? Tune in to Sports Info UM with Daryl Oliver and Sam Sword. We'll talk about the drafts, play-by-play, and even what's happening in the offseason.
0: This is The Get Down with Hurley Brown. To reach our show today, call in to 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to Brown at gmail.com. Now back to the show. All right, Coach. Russell, Maryland, family. We are
1: back and we're getting ready to find out why Russell, Maryland, thinks that Jerry Jones cutting Dez Bryant might be the best thing to ever happen to Dez. All right, Russell, you got the stage, baby. You don't know how all to right. talk to now, him. I know
3: it, all, all your listeners have been waiting with bated breath, you know. Yes, sir. <laughs> <you got>. <laughs> so, <laughs> so here it is. I think that uh, it, it could be a good thing for Dez in that sometimes in situations it's just human nature that uh, we get comfortable uh, in a situation, And I think by Dez getting cut, cut, the Cowboys letting him go, it'll give him a chance to go and look at uh, some other teams that may be a little bit different. It it might be a a breath of fresh air for him to be around another team, another coach, another ownership uh, uh, type of ownership that'll help him out. And uh, actually, I think more than than anything, it might give him a kind of a, a chip on his shoulder. I mean, he already played with the chip. Anyway, but I think it'll give him a bigger chip to come, uh, you know, to whatever team and uh, you know be a better be a better player because his, his numbers have gone down on, la- on the last three years. So I think it'll help him in that respect.
1: So you think it'll light a fire in him to say – And, and uh, we would like to think that you know. And I t- let me say this. I'm gonna say this because back then Kelvin and and all of us played together. We were teammates that's what it would have taken for one of us to, well, to, say, to recharge. I'd
2: say, I'd yeah, that that would have been a,
1: a, a slap in the face. It would be like, okay, I'm going to show you. That's right.
2: Well, well, I'm going to say this early. Because there was so much competition, you know what I'm saying, you had to be on your game every day. And I, you know, I could say this. Russ, I mean, I got indoctrinated into learning how to play offensive line with Russ, Cortez, Jimmy Jones, Shane Curry, Greg Mark, Mark Caesar. And, you know, all of them was tough, but, man, Russ would come with so many different moves, it's like you could never let your guard down. So every time we went against Russ, let's just say we stopped him initially. Well, Russ is coming with a counter move. And then let's just say out of the – grace of God, somehow you got to the counter move, he had another move for that counter move. So, <laughs> it's like, you know, it taught me that you can't never give up, you gotta keep going until the whistle blow. and, you know, it, it, I guess it lit a fire because well, to be honest with you, I didn't want to get embarrassed. Cause hey hey, hey and you know what, Calvin, <laughs> such is life, man,
3: you know, you gotta have a counter to your counter sometimes. Hey, you know there will be sometimes where you get stopped. You're right. You know what I'm saying? Hey, hey Kevin, you, you just
1: stop to your tracks. Right. So you, mm-hmm. have to, what, you have to do what? Go to a plan B, right, Hurley? Exactly. And then when plan B don't work, you gotta go to plan C. And, that's and the sometimes the plan C don't work. Yeah, you got right. go to plan D. But, but, but you're absolutely right. That is life, but. Well, Russell, you, we had our defensive line in 1989. Let me, let me just read these names off to you. Yeah. Russell. Greg Mark. hmm Jimmy Jones. Yep. Yeah. Chris Pagese. Yep, yeah, Pagese. Shane Curry. <laughs> Ortez Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Dude, I, I'll tell you what was so funny. I, I go out to, I'm playing with the Sacramento Gold Miners. And um, our start quarterback was Peter Gardier. Peter Gardier no, was yeah, a really? starting quarterback. Yeah. <laughs> he was a <the> starting <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Hey, so he, he was one of our quarterbacks out there in Sacramento. So oh, we yeah. sit in the locker room one day, and I had just got cut from San Fran. So um, they had already been playing and stuff. And so I- I'm sitting there one day, and I kept noticing this guy across the locker room, kept staring at me for like the first three or four days. Every time <laughs> we come in, I'm like, dude, what's up with this dude? You know, is he... You know, he got twinkle toes or something. You know, why he keeps staring at me like, that, especially in the locker room. So he finally muscled up enough energy to come over there and ask me. He said, "Hey man, you play for Miami?" I said, "Yeah." He said, "Oh man, he said, I got to tell you this." He said, "We called the play, and Russell Maryland tackled me. And when I got up." My face mask was twisted to the side. There was a big old chunk of grass at the top of my face mask. And I want to say it was turf. So he was like, was he had turf. just barely <laughs> been the turf. And I'm like, Pete, but it was, he, it was turf. He's like, man, trust me, it, it came off in my face mask. <laughs> then he said, so they called a play, and that play was a bootleg. The next play was a bootleg. He said, mm-hmm. so he walks up to the line of scrimmage, and he's looking down, and he sees Russell. Breathing smoke out of his face, mask. he right. looks to the side right. and, and Cortez and somebody else. And then he looked up and saw Maurice Crum or Rick Newbill. He said he called timeout. He said, hold on. So he <laughs> ran over to the sideline and the coach is yelling at him. What are you doing? Why are you calling timeout? He said, I'm not running that play. <laughs> he said the coach said I called a bootleg you better run he said no you run it if you want us to run bootleg you go run it did you see them guys out there on that football field but man I died laughing but dude that was one of the greatest games Russell and and that was your and that was one of your I'm not gonna say coming out games but that was one of the games man that you took it personal because Stan Thomas ran his mouth
2: Yeah, I remember oh, that man. right yeah. yeah! Oh yeah! So, Man, and so that
3: was, that was brain, my last. Bring the trophy to the game because yeah. he is now. What kind yeah. of Remember that? that? That was my last collegiate game. That was the hot uh, yeah. Bowl in 1991, January of 91. And uh, yep. you know, I don't know what got into U- University. It was UT, University of Texas. They felt like they were home. It was in Dallas, and we had come all the way from Miami. Nice warm weather. To it was cold that week. You remember that? Oh yeah, we were, yep. we were we were practicing in Texas Stadium, the old Texas Stadium with the hole in the middle, you know. So it was cold and it snowed on us. Yep. And then all that whole week, uh, old Stan Thomas, man, he was the offensive tackle, and I wouldn't, didn't even primarily play over Stan. Hamlet and uh, Shane Curry and Eric Miller were playing over Stan Thomas. I was playing inside, uh, you know, over um, I, can't I, Boyd, uh, I can't remember the guy, but I think it was Boyd. I can't remember the guy, but anyway wow. I'm talking all the stuff like they were miami they thought they were miami and you know we, we just had to show them a thing or two Russell,
1: i'll well, tell that you, that you what man right. that was they that, that right. was the greatest week that i've ever had as far as you know because well, I, it, we we didn't and russell you didn't even talk but all nope. of a sudden and i ain't gonna go into all the details of everything that happened we could, that's a whole nother show but, yep. hey, Kelvin, remember when we had that team meeting and yep. Coach Erickson was oh, trying to get up. into the team meeting? Oh, my God.
2: <laughs> that hey, was so all of a sudden. You so they bad about,
1: about my city. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, and then Mark sees it, Rohan get into it. Mark hit Rohan in the back with a chair. Dude, it was crazy. It, it, it dude, was I'm crazy. talking about the craziest game or the craziest week leading up to a game I've ever been around in my life. It really well, Russell,
2: you remember, Kelvin, right? What do you remember yeah. about that? But 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 earlier, I got a, a specific game memory outside of this one. What? That same year, we played Syracuse. They had a dude uh, by the name of John Flannery who was up for uh, a lot of the same trophies as Russ. Yeah, and he played I was, yeah. right. He played right guard. So yeah. for the game, they decided to move him to left guard uh, against yeah. Russell. He went from being the number one offensive guard in the draft to a second round draft pick after that game. <laughs>
1: Russell, Russell ends up being the number one pick of the entire draft. So, Russell, I mean, we've we yeah, only got yeah. a minute left to go. So, I got to ask you this. And, and your, your daughter, Kara, is doing great at the University of Miami. Man, she's joined the family. And, yeah. um, I mean, she's down with Amy Dean. Amy Dean yeah. is, you know, she, she's a Hall of Famer in her in own rights. Oh, but, yeah. um, Russell. You what was it like sitting at home when the phone rang and I don't know where you were, but what was that feeling like? What what what, what did it feel like for your name to be called for the I mean the number one pick overall yeah, in the draft? It was
3: crazy, it was crazy fellas. Um, you know, back back then they, they had guys that did go to New York, but it wasn't as Big of a deal as it is now, you know, where it's a big production, you know, with all the bells and whistles and you know pyrotechnics and all of that, you know. Yeah, I yeah. was uh, I just happened to be uh, with my agent uh, in, in in California, and at, at that time, my agent had uh, three, you know, supposed number one draft. I mean, draft uh, number uh, first round draft picks. It was me, Eric Turner, uh, 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 safety from UCLA. And who went number uh, three or who? Yeah, he went number two, uh, and then Dan, Big Dan McGuire, big quarterback, uh, uh, he went uh, number sixteen. So uh, there was kind of rumblings uh, that you know that I was going to be number one pick and everything. And Rock, at that year, Rocket Ismail was everybody's number one pick. He was the best player in the draft. He was coming out early. He chose to go to Toronto to organize yeah. to the CFL. So that kind of made the way for me. Uh, to have that place, and you know, Jimmy Johnson. Hey, he's my former coach uh, in Miami. He was the co- the coach of the Cowboys. He had the number one pick, so it's kind of like a no brainer. And uh, you know, a month before the draft, Jimmy said, "Hey, hey Russ, uh, we like what you've been doing. You know, we we gonna come to get you." And I was like, "Oh, thanks, coach." You know, I'm thinking that he's just BSing me, make me feel right. good. Hey, that's one of that's one of those grace of God things where all the things you know, stars align, and then mm-hmm. next thing you know. Paul Tagliabue calls me out, number one pick in the draft after they open the show up. Wow. And, uh, and I get that phone call, and, you know, I'm the number one pick in the entire draft. I'm like, man, I didn't, who would have ever thought hmm. that a fat hmm. kid hmm. from Chicago, you know, hmm. five years before would end up being the number one pick number in the draft. One of the draft today, I Dallas, think number one pick in the draft. Dallas
1: Cowboys, America's even team. Even if uh, Rocket would have stayed in this draft,
2: because I just don't see Jimmy drafting a, a yeah. complimentary wideout. Yeah. Um, yeah, Well, I'll tell you
1: what, Russell, it's been a great show. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy day, Hall of Famer, you know, and spending time with the Get Down with Hurley Brown, me and my main man, Kelvin Harris. But all you guys, hey, man, you're listening to one of the best to ever do it the absolute greatest. Russell is also a motivational speaker. So if you get a chance, if you got some people that you need him to talk to, hey, don't hesitate to give him a call. If you want to, if you want his number, you know how to get in touch with me. But it's time for us to close. It's been a great show. Ray Ellis Sports is up next. My mentor, my guy, Ray Ellis, he's gonna have a great show for you as well. We will see you next week when we come back and we'll have Major Parker, and a couple other guys, a couple of our NBA analyst guys, talk about the winners and losers of the NBA draft. The NBA draft is up Thursday. Get your popcorn. You better be ready. Gonna be some great guys. Gonna be some dreams come true Thursday night. But anyway, Russell, thank you again. Family, signing off. Peace. No hair grease. Next week.
0: For tuning into the Get Down with Hurley Brown. The coach wants you to join us again next week, Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific time and 3 p.m. Eastern time on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll have another great show ready to roll next week.